welcome to episode 6 of Telling the Tale. I'm your host, Mitchell Farley-Wolf, and I'm here, as I have been for the last few episodes, last all of the episodes, in fact, with our co-host, Dustin Jackson. Hey, Dustin, how's it going? Hey, Mitch, want to rub my unicorn? Hey, Dustin, no, but I do want to talk to you about the very last episode of Sam and Max Save the World. We did it. We finished a whole season of a thing. Wow, we did it. We played a video game. Yeah, it makes I think we I think we can pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> I think we should actually. Uh it it makes me a little nervous considering that there's so many more of them and I already feel like I've sort of accomplished something by just finishing one season of a thing. Um Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but we've accomplished something it's one season and it's it's a good season of a video game if you ask me yeah i agree i i feel like uh overall this was a strong start i i talked about it in the first episode uh i remembered this season not being like that good and now i'm like i don't remember why because it's great it's a very good first step for telltale in the sam and max world yeah, my my memory of it was the same, and I guess that makes me just more excited about going to seasons two and three, because if this is uh, better than I imagined it, than I remembered it being, and I thought like two and three were just way better, well, I hope that actually scales, and now two and three are just going to be amazing <laughs> with with some time given to them. Um, but yeah, I I thought that the the, the scenarios in this season were lighter and less, you know, rambunctious and crazy than they get later on. <laughs> and I think that just colored my my perception of the games as they were going on uh, because I was thinking like, oh, yeah, I want Sam and Max to be off the wall and, and, and wild. And even though this season definitely is that, just the fact that it's less that, I guess, made me uh, color it less fondly in my memories. But it's great. It's a great season. Yeah, I I think that's where I was at too. I I feel like back when it first came out, maybe the overall package was a little I don't want to say lacking, but I feel like this fresh coat of paint on this remaster also kind of helps. I cuz that original release of the first season it's good, but it looks kind of rough. And I feel like even at the time it felt a little cheap and I feel like it maybe unfairly colored my opinion of the game as a whole, but with, yeah, with these, uh, with this remaster, now that it's all nice and fixed up, uh, it really benefits from it. And I guess it kind of helps everything else shine a little brighter. Yeah, we can definitely talk more about the our, our thoughts on the season as a whole as we go on. But right now, I just want to do some house cleaning. Uh, I do want to mention for the folks at home. That Dustin and I had agreed to do um, a, like a like a separate little thing if there were any important bits of news about Telltale Games that came out during the C3 se- uh, cycle. It is now, as we're recording, the second to final day of E3. Most of the important, important in quotes, I don't know what's important anymore, um, but the important shows have actually come and gone. Uh, we've seen the, the Jeff Keighley <laughs> extravaganza where he gets on stage and just tries to say a bunch of cool words. Um, very, very loose usage of the word extravaganza. Yeah. 
Um, Xbox, Square Enix, today was Capcom, which was a bummer for a lot of people. <laughs> um, Ubisoft went by. The thing that I thought we might have had a chance of seeing something at was the PC gaming show, which uh, I admit I did not watch, but to my knowledge, there was nothing related to anything like um, the new VR Sam and Max game or um, anything about the new Telltales, The Wolf Among Us 2. Nothing like that came up. So we're probably not doing anything like that. I guess there was no news. Man, I am looking forward to that uh, VR Sam and Max game, but I don't think I can play it. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't, don't I don't have VR any system. VR. <laughs> yeah, that's VR is tricky because for a while it really did seem like the future of video games, and now. It feels like a very luxurious second option for well-to-do video gamers, um, which yeah. is not something a future can be. A, a future of video games can never be exclusionary like that. Um, I There was a little bit of news, but it wasn't during the E3 conference. I'm just looking at uh, mixandmojo.com which is a wonderful website for all things uh, LucasArts, Telltale, that sort of whole deal. Um, so the Sam and Max, this time it's virtual VR game, was meant to come out this month, early June, but it has been delayed to next month, which is fine. Oh, so so that's actually like the removal of news. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There is going to be even less Sam and Max than there would have been. Honestly, that works out for me because I I think that we should. I don't. I can't play it. I don't have a thing either. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I, I guess we should talk about it. Um, you know what we should do? We should we should hunt down. I bet there's someone somewhere in s- some portion of our friend groups that has a VR system. We should make them play the game and then just ask them how it went <laughs> with, with us <laughs> like not having any ability to play it on our own. Just, hey, what, what happened? Was it good? Did you like it? Um, and then they say yes, and then the episode's over. <laughs> um, I, I really do hope it's good. And I hope uh, The Wolf Among Us 2 is also good. I, I hope that's all great. Uh, there's, there's no hope for games being bad. That would be a silly hope. <laughs> um, yeah, E3 in general, though, seems to have been a bit of a disappointment for most people in most regards yeah. this year. I mean, we're we're recording this the day before Nintendo, and I don't know how Nintendo's show is going to be, but it seems like uh, the bar has been lowered for them. Yeah, <laughs> not not that they not that they are guaranteed to give us a good show either. But I feel like I usually get more that appeals to me out of Nintendo's show anyway, just because of what I'm interested in. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. If we don't get anything, that's fine, you know. Yeah, I, I always have been a hashtag Nintendo gamer. Um, so <laughs> watch out. You know, I'm I'm gonna find more interesting things there on average anyway. Um. But, you know, I, I was hoping everyone sort of could use this as a comeback year after the actual lack of E3 last year. And, uh, no, it looks like you'll you'll need two years to, to really um, be less affected by COVID, which makes sense. <laughs> that it totally makes sense. Um, yeah. Better luck next year, everyone. 
Yeah, it's just, you know, next year we're going to be like, okay, well, this is the first real E3 since COVID, so be easy on it. And like, okay, is every gear going <laughs> to feel <laughs> like that a little bit? Um, six years later, well, maybe the next one. So, episode six, Bright Side of the Moon. By the way, in I think we referenced this episode a, a couple times last episode, talking about what we're doing next. Every single time, I said bad side of the moon every time you got it wrong but I, that's okay I, got it wrong. I still i still think you're an okay guy well by you not correcting me you also are allowed to have gotten it wrong if you oh, want shit, you're right yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, there's there's enough of that to go around the original <laughs> game tap release of the game as is always a funny thing to think about was on april 26th of 2007 and the writers designers on this episode were again uh Dave Grossman, Brendan Q Ferguson, Heather Logus, and Chuck Jordan. Same people as last time. All right, all right. Yeah, we've we've settled into a little groove here and uh I still don't know or if I I don't know if there's even the information out there if it's possible to find out um you know who did what on these episodes in terms of writing and design like whose joke was whose um but this seems like a pretty good team they've rounded up here grossman ferguson logos and jordan and um they have at least what was last episode heather logos's first episode or was the one before it um oh shoot i don't remember i th- i want to say it was the last one didn't we yeah, because we were talking about how the last episode kind of felt a little different with, like, uh, the cops and everything. Yeah, hang on. I so. actually have notes, so let's see. Let's see how many pages I need to go back to find out. Okay, so episode five um, did have... That was last week, everybody. <laughs> yeah, what a what a time capsule it feels like it's been to... Uh... <laughs> Nostalgia okay. blast. So, so episode four was the first one with Jeff Lester not being in it, and Chuck Jordan being in it, and then episode five added Heather Logos, and then episode six kept that. Okay. Um, so the four of them now, the original two were Dave Grossman and Brennan Q. Ferguson, the only ones that were there the whole time, but now we also have Logos and Jordan sort of rounding stuff out. Um, I I want to just take a guess at assigning whose jokes were whose i would love to imagine chuck jordan a person i know absolutely nothing about as having written some of the pickup lines that abe lincoln uses on sybil in this episode damn yeah (laughs) i yeah i I just i just find that a, a fun thing so um in general let's just start out how did you like this episode I liked it. I'm actually still contemplating where I rank it in the season overall. But I think there was a lot about this episode that I enjoyed. Uh, I like that it had a lot of returning characters. We get to see some familiar faces. The cops, Philo Pennyworth, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Bosco was there. Every character um, was there. I, I'm pretty sure if you include the ones that we saw in the credit sequence, every character from the entire season was there in some way. Oh, I totally forgot about the ones that show up in the credits. I think you're right. 
I think that's a right thing you said. Um, although, you know, some, some of the ones that show up in the credits, they are only there for a second. And they're probably yeah. only there so that they can say that. So, so that they can say every character showed up in the last episode. Um, I guess that's a cool way of doing it. They can say they used every character. It's an easy way to just reuse models that yeah. are already made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially because if this was an actual like full game that you were making as a sequel to the other episodes, you'd probably not be able to just bring over all of the old models without doing something to them. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure there's model cleanups and stuff on some of the characters that uh, repeat in season two. Although I'm not entirely positive about that. I'm not completely sure if that's correct. But I would imagine that is true. Um, I love this episode too. I think it's great. I I think I I also don't know exactly where it goes, but I would put it in the top half of episodes yeah. from this season, which Agreed. is incidentally just the second half. Um, <laughs> I I think four, five, and six are all better than one, two, and three. Agreed. I'm right there with you. Yeah, we talked before about how episode four felt like a really big change in terms of uh, scale and scope and like how big and important the things that you were doing felt uh, after episodes two and three felt pretty small. Mm-hmm. And episode one felt sort of like a pilot where it was bigger than episodes two and three, but it was also like just... You know, it it was it was a very different feeling thing than the rest of the season. Yeah, it was it was starting things off. It was kind of getting us used to the characters, the situations, what we're going to be doing. It, it's not necessarily a huge scale story, especially compared to these last few episodes of the season. Yeah, and it it turns out in this episode, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but it turns out that the villain of the whole time was Hubless. And Hubliss made his debut in the second episode of the season. Uh, he did not appear in either episodes one or three, but he appeared in everything else. And it just seems like uh, every single thing that had happened in the season connected to the mind control situation was his doing. He orchestrated the whole thing. Is this a cool twist? Um... I think so. Um, Is it guessable? Um, Other than the hints I, from episode five, where they, you know, they look up in the moon and it's his face in the moon. Roy G. Biv. Um, I don't. You know what? I don't know. I don't think there's any other hints. I guess episode five. Kind, well, no, I don't think there's anything early in the season that tells you. Hugh Bliss is the one behind the, uh, well, I don't know, because there's the videos in the first episode, the Ibo, I guess uh, that kind of correlates to uh, Hugh Bliss and his uh, many colors. So in, uh, in this... Pris- prismatology. Right, but in this episode, you actually go to the moon and you see a pedestal in the moon's gift shop for um, mind control goggles. And... Those are the goggles that Brady Culture had. And if you talk to Harry Moleman, who is the, the steward of the gift shop on the moon, about those mind control goggles, he will tell you that someone stole them. 
So it's possible that Brady Culture's whole thing that he was doing with the soda poppers and everything was actually not related to Hugh Bliss's master plan. He stole them from Hugh Bliss. I like that a lot. I never even considered that. I, I kind of like that development, that the first episode is kind of not even tied into this, but it still leads into what happens. Right, because uh, you see the master plan on, on the... <laughs> you, he has outlined his master plan, and it's just on the wall of the gift shop. <laughs> of the gift shop. <laughs> and it, it has lines drawn, starting at the top, Hugh Bliss, um, to a veil of secrecy to the pseudonym Roy G. Biv which connects to the internet, which connects to the populace, and then on a different thread, Hugh Bliss to Prismatology, to Cult of Personality, to Chuckles, who is Hugh Bliss's like, second-in-command, it turns out, in Prismatology, to... Um, and then Chuckles is connected to the Toy Mafia, which in, in one thread directly attacks the public, but then on another thread specifically targets Myra's show. And then you remember Hugh Bliss was going to go on Myra's show. So if we didn't stop Myra's show right before Hugh Bliss was supposed to go on, maybe he would have just taken over the whole world right there. That is good thinking. And uh, he had to do all the other stuff with the president and the internet in order to, uh, you know, make up for Get the inability. Get things back on track. Yeah, yeah. Get things back on track. Um, so that's, that's crazy. And it never occurred to me just how it's all, like, I knew it was all connected. I knew it was, you know, all leading up to Hugh Bliss, but I never stopped. I guess I, yeah, I never stopped to think about exactly how it's all connected. Yeah. That, that that's, moon that's gift cool shop is a, is a big smorgasbord of lore, a lorgishborg. A, a lorgishborg. Yeah. Um, so you're let, using so many good words today. You use smorgasbord. You use uh, rambunctious earlier. Oh, did I? Oh, I've you know I I ran away from that word. I was like, did I use that right? Let's find out later when people talk to me on Twitter about it. <laughs> Someone's been doing their vocabulary homework. Yeah, I've been hooked on phonics recently. Good job. <laughs> uh, so let, let's let's go into the um, the plot of the episode. It starts out, we're in the office, like always. The commissioner, or sorry, Max is giving a speech to the public as the president, which I kind of forgot already that he is still the president, but you're kind of supposed to. (laughs) Yeah, like they they play it as Max being president of the U.S. is not a big deal. Like it, it comes into the plot every now and then, but, you know, who cares at the end of the day? Yeah, like, he's definitely powerful, and everyone slightly off-camera, you're given the impression that, like, they're living under the iron thumb pressing down on them from above of Max. But everyone on-camera is like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> like, the entire <laughs> country, and probably the rest of the whole world, is crumbling around them because of his terrible management skills. But, um, you know, where it matters most on the straight and narrow uh, intersection they live on... It's just sort of whatever. He's just, yeah, he's president, you know. And Max is president. We, Bosco we runs a store. We all have things. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's kind of got their own little thing going on. Um, but during the recording, Sam is distracted. He's trying to figure out who Roy G. Biv is. And he does it in a way that doesn't make sense. Uh, 
He could have just said, Roy G. Biv, colors. Oh, prismatology. It's it's Hugh Bliss. But what he does instead, and I love this, is um, mourning, which the mud-worshipping something people, I didn't catch all of it, um, it, the word mourning to them means those who destroy the colors of the universe. So someone must hate something to do with mourning. So it's the person who's never said the word mourning in conversations to us. And it turns out that's Hugh Bliss. <laughs> <laughs> um, boy i i didn't go back through all the episodes and log every time every character said morning so i'm gonna take their word for it i totally would have if i remembered that this that's how they figured it out but i when i saw it uh when i played through this episode for this episode of the podcast i was like oh damn i should have been keeping a log <laughs> when, when <laughs> a I was morning log yeah is it possible that they actually did that there's no way right I wonder. I, I, I feel like there's no way, but it's totally possible. It's totally a thing they could have actually done. Yeah, I can but imagine. Who knows? I, I guess it would be depend whether or not this was planned that far in advance. And I'd, I'd be very surprised if it was, but I'd be very impressed as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine various characters saying the word morning. I'm, I imagine Superball saying, good morning. Um, that sounds right. To <laughs> that was me. a good Super Bowl. Yeah, su- Super Bowl's just a white guy. <laughs> That's the secret. <laughs> yeah, Mitch, Mitch, you kind of look like Super Bowl. I was thinking that when I was looking at him. Were you? Did do you really feel that way? Not like a one to one resemblance, but you, you. I was looking at him and I thought, huh? Because I'm not gonna lie, I thought that too. <laughs> wow, you're on the same wavelength. Yeah, I could be. I could be Super Bowl in another life. If you wanted. Yeah, if I want to be a um, an extremely unloyal bouncer. Um, <laughs> so they find out that it's Hubliss right as the phone rings at the commissioner. Uh, Sam says, hey, you need to put an all all eyes out on Hubliss. And then the commissioner says, no, you know, he's on the moon. Just go to the moon. Um, <laughs> so they do. And that's where they find this whole thing. There's a there's a gift shop run by Harry S. Moleman. Who's got tons of prismatology stuff and other Hugh Bliss stuff on sale? Um, there's the lunar lander from you know NASA, um, which shouldn't Who? still be there, right? <laughs> I would I would think not, but it was there in Sam and Max, so it must be there for real. I actually don't know if this is how it works, but my assumption on this was that the lunar lander, um was like the vessel that they used to get between the surface of the moon and the thing orbiting the moon that in turn that thing could drive them back to earth otherwise how did they get back if they left the lander that's true i i follow you on that all right i think you know what you're talking about (laughs) well it's here it's still (laughs) on the moon they left it here um and then also a mysterious door and anytime there's a door there's Super Bowl standing right in front of it, um, guarding you, despite you being his boss, from opening up that door. And uh, people not. I yeah. wonder if it counts though. Is is he still his boss on the moon? Max is president of the United States, not the moon. Well, I don't Does see a Russian power? flag up there. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. Political. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I think. If if we we've made a, a treaty, the world. This is real life. We've made a treaty 
um, to respect the moon not as a no man's land, but an every man's land. So every nation owns the moon concurrently. Um, so not only is he still our subordinate, probably, but also, um, like, if there were any other nations around, they could also probably order Super Bowl around. So Super Bowl is just playing way out of his depth, trying to guard this door. He's he's having a rebellious day guarding <laughs> this door. You could see it in his eyes. Do you want to talk about the unicorn? I would love to talk about the unicorn. So, um, you're given a unicorn. You're only allowed to get in through this door if you have a red a prismatology level. If if you're if you have red energy. Unfortunately, Sam, upon rubbing the unicorn, only has a yellow uh, prismatology level. So you can't get in. You can't get in through this door. Um, so you got to find a way to get this unicorn's horn red if you want to get in through this door and see what all the hubbub is about. Right. So I love this unicorn. You can just show it to anyone and you'll get different responses to it. And I love things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that too. Yeah, like, every character you show this to will have a different sort of reaction to showing them the unicorn. And there's no gameplay reason for it. You don't get anything out of having people say this stuff to you. Um, I guess maybe there's a gameplay function in that you talk to everyone and they don't do anything, so that kind of teaches you, oh, that's not how you're going to get this unicorn's horn red. Um, So what you do is... You uh, spoilers for the episode. Anyone who hasn't played it, um, you take the unicorn to Bosco's, and you put it in the microwave, and that heats that unicorn sucker right up. That horn gets red as uh shit. Yeah. So this feels like a reference to um, uh, Scientologists. Um, they have a scanner that they use on you that. I believe measures it's some it's something within the the the, the theoscience of Dianetics which L Ron Hubbard wrote about. I don't remember the name of it, but it's something in there that basically is just like a current reader. It just reads current, it reads voltage. Um, mm-hmm. but you hold it and then it's supposed to, you know, analyze all this stuff about your 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 memories and your mind's eye and your soul's purity yeah. and stuff. Uh, so. Yeah, it tells you what your favorite Star Wars movie is, and judging by your answer, that's what level you are. Yeah. <laughs> so this thing is just, it's basically a temperature reader. It's just a thermometer. Um, <laughs> but it's supposed to tell you all this stuff. Uh, Hugh Bliss, it, this, is, this is 2007, peak making fun of Scientology era right here. Right. This is Scientology is the biggest joke to every person right now in history. What a wonderful time. What a little time capsule. <laughs> ah, to go back to those days. Uh so you can now with your with your reunicorn being red, you can show that to Super Bowl. He will assume that you've achieved transcendence within prismatology and will let you in. But before you let yourself in there, um you ha- you do have to go back to Earth to warm up the unicorn. So let's talk about Sybil and Bosco. 
Yes, I would. I have something very specific I want to say about Bosco when we get to him. So I'm I'm chomping at the bit here. Well, we're here. Awesome. <laughs> so um, that's how podcasts so work, g- man. If you want to talk about something, we'll just do it. We'll, <laughs> that's true. Just, I forgot about the talking part. Yeah, we're we're just right here, right now, for the whole time. So what's up with Bosco? So Bosco has another uh, one of his wacky disguises in place. Uh, he is dressed as his mother, mm-hmm. um, which is—I don't know. I, f- I feel like how do you how do you feel about this Bosco disguise? So are you asking about the cross dressing being a joke in and of itself? Um, just general opinion. My general opinion was it was just, I feel like by that point, the Bosco disguises was just like a tad overplayed in general. Yeah, so up through episode, episodes two, three, and four, he was different nationalities, which is a very common idea for a disguise. You know, when you want to pretend to be a different person, you're not Russian, so be Russian. Um, and then in reality 2.0, he was a half elf because of internet stuff, and that was a time when the internet meant video games and vice versa. <laughs> um, and in this one, he's dressed up as his own mother, uh, which is basically, it just looks like him, but he's cross-dressing um, and, and uh, performing as a woman. And he uh, t- takes a break from it every now and again to say, guys, it's me, Bosco. And I, like, yeah, I think I that's my favorite part about these disguises is Bosco. <laughs> They're paper thin disguises, but he thinks he's fooling you every time. Yeah. Guys, it's me. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's good. That, that is probably my that, favorite. That is always a good gag. Even if it's the same gag every time, I feel like that's a part of it that doesn't get old. Yeah. I mean, there, the, the bit that I think, you know, just doesn't age as well, and not in, like, a super problematic way, but sort of in just a, ugh, kind of way, is, like, mm-hmm. the joke of it is that he ha- is wearing a dress and speaking in a high-pitched voice, which is, you know, right. like, that's not really a joke. That can just be how a person is. Um, and, and I think that's kind of unfortunately a basis of all of the bosco comedy in this season which is like you know would kind of yeah i mean if I we're from a country that spoke like that and i'm like well you know not to people from that country probably i don't know but yeah it probably doesn't land as well with them yeah <laughs> um but the insistence that he's specifically his mom and not just a woman i think does elevate it a little bit I agree. I was about to say the exact same thing. The joke isn't entirely that it's Bosco dressed up as a woman. The joke is that he's dressed up as his own mother. And and he's saying things a mother would say. Yeah, he's definitely... Like, like, <laughs> like uh, clean up your office or no dessert. Uh, the slushies are um, castor oil flavor and uh, Brussels sprout flavor. Yeah, they do have an entire conversation about his breasts which is a it took me out of it a little bit it sort it sort of winded me as i was playing through the episode yeah uh the it it starts with sam going are those bosco tech breasts and then bosco goes oh no these are all natural and then max goes i'll tell you i like them voluptuous and i'm like max 
what? <laughs> this has never been the way you... Uh, and then Bosco responding to Max says, Oh, Max, you take after your father. And then Max gets super angry at that and says, Okay, you just crossed the line, pal. Um, which I think it's, it, it is funny that this is the thing that makes Max mad. But like the whole conversation felt like it was written entirely by like a completely different team of writers than anything else i've seen in this season yeah i i do like the joke that max has this uh unseen history with his father yeah the idea that oh you take out after your father is like the maddest he's ever been in the whole game so far (laughs) Um, yeah so this whole thing with bosco not great um like you said, I wouldn't say it's like the most problematic thing in the world. That's not really my place to say, but I, uh, it, it, it doesn't come off that way to me. It's just kind of not the smartest, I guess. Yeah, and it, it sort of filters in with another problem I have with this episode, which is the characterization of, of Hugh Bliss, which I I think is not necessarily homophobic, but trends toward it, where he is the only character in the game who is outwardly, stereotypically homophobic. And I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with the with showing... Or sorry, not homophobic, uh, homosexual. And the game itself would be homophobic in that case he i don't think there's anything wrong with showing a character be the stereotype because in the real world people are that way um but making him be the only person in the game that has that outward facing stereotype and then turning around and saying this is actually a villain and it's been a manifestation of evil the whole time and his cheeriness which is like part of the stereotype is actually the evil thing so it's 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 almost in the world of saying Hubliss's gayness is the villain of the entire game. Um, and I really do take issue with that. I think it's not cool. Um, I think it's from an era where, you know, these sorts of jokes were just seen as jokes by the the majority of the public. And that doesn't make them better or worse. That just means that there was a reason for making the joke. But it wasn't okay then. I don't think it's okay now. Especially, you know, if you didn't catch it because of how Hubus acts, you're going to catch it because of all the rainbow motifs, the, which is, of course, the, the gay pride flag colors um, in, in everywhere that Hubus is since the beginning of, of his introduction. Especially with how there has been a, a gay community that has grown around Sam and Max as an institution, especially with the theorization that Sam and Max themselves are in some ways a gay couple. Um, I think having this be the villain comes off really poorly. Um, It's something I don't think I can get past. There's some things that like, you know, Bosco cross-dressing and that sort of being funny. It's like, you know, that they sort of, they wouldn't have done it now, but also, like, they would have done it now. They just wouldn't have made that the joke. This, I yeah. don't think you would do now. This, like, the whole thing about Hubliss really does 
it's the first time I playing through this game that makes me think, oh, this really is significantly dated in a in a particularly negative way. That's um interesting. My response is I must be slow or it never occurred to me, but uh Hugh Bliss being gay just never came to mind for me. <laughs> uh well I uh you, you know they do a I, good thing they do a good job of of saying, well you know like that's not his thing. His thing is as we find out in the end of this uh, this episode, is that he's a colony of intergalactic mind reading bacteria. Which, of course, of course, you're gonna that we saw that coming a mile away. Right, right, <laughs> of course. Uh, so you know, it was there from episode one. It's not like his main thing, but the idea of like there being a panic that everyone in the world could become, um, you know, like Hugh Bliss, um. Which is like the end goal, like I'm gonna make everyone like me. Like that's that's sort of the heterosexual panic that defined this era in media, unfortunately, um, manifested into its own plot device. And uh, you know, I I I really don't think I can get over that one. Um, it's not great. I'm just over here like, oh. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> oh, I'm... Like, so, um, so the thing about it is, uh, Hugh Bliss's, uh, sexual orientation is never... Do they ever, like, explicitly bring it up? No. <laughs> like, I, I get, I get what they're, I get, like, the, the rainbow motifs and everything, and... And him being uh, flamboyant, very cheerful, uh, blissful. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's why uh, that just never occurred to me. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, I just uh, I just looked at it on the surface. The took it at face value. Um, now now that you say it, um, I can see where you're coming from. But uh, not once while watching them did it really ever come to mind for me. He just struck me as uh, a guy who was very, uh, what's the word, um, obnoxiously enlightened. Sure. Yeah. I guess. Um, that, that, that sort of feels, if, if you've seen the show Community, there's a character in the first season named Vaughn who's like constantly talking about going on vision quests and never wears shoes just like hubless doesn't wear shoes and um you know goes around thinking everything is really cool dude and everything's rad uh and that seems <laughs> that is another stereotype i i think that there's definitely some of that wrapped in with hubless um but i don't think it's the thing i i it i have a hard time giving it the benefit of the doubt that the developers weren't you know thinking about that i i do think that i give the benefit of the doubt to skunk ape uh you know in in the remastering of this i think you you might not be able to catch it as much as in the making of this but um so so most of my complaints are are levied at the uh you know 2007 design team at telltale the mindset of 2007 yeah 
um, you know, Skunk Ape, if you're going to remaster the game, you, you don't change any of this. You can't. You can't do it. It's part of the game. Yeah, it's it's like literally the story of <laughs> yeah. this episode. Yeah. Um, so so for, for better or worse, it's always part of the story. Yeah, it, it it's one of those things where I could see it happening in the writer's room. Like, um, you know, day one, they're like, what if there's a character that's sort of like this? And everyone's like, yeah, that's funny. And it is. And then in day three, they're like, okay, who's going to be the secret bad guy? Like, oh, what if it was this character? And like, oh, yeah, that's sort of funny. And it, it, it is. But like the ramifications of that might not have come up. Um, just, you know, trying to read this uh, generously. It's why I, I would advocate for a, um, you know, uh, sensibility yeah. reader. What's the name of that? Like sensitivity reader. Um, just, just to make sure like your stories in things that you publish on a mass scale are, um, not doing this, <laughs> um, <laughs> but there, there is a lot of other stuff in this episode. I don't want to like make it only about this because I think it's definitely a sore spot. Um, so, so let's, let's go through the rest. Um. Okay. Do you want to talk about Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> well, hold on, hold on there. Uh, we're still on Earth with our good friends Bosco and Sybil. Oh, we haven't even gotten to you Sybil. You are so yet. right. Um, Sybil. And I think I love Sybil's role in this episode. I think it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Sybil has a new job, of course. Uh, what is it? Sybil is the Queen of Canada. <laughs> Yeah, Sybil's the Queen of Canada. So the problem with That's a pretty big step up from her other jobs. So the thing about this is that I think it's supposed to be like, haha, Canada doesn't have a queen. Canada has had a queen for a very long time. <laughs> uh, Canada absolutely does have a queen. Um You know, that's not something that they don't have. Yeah, it's Sybil. Yeah, it's Sybil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sybil's the queen. We just saw it. I guess in the same way that America already had a president, but Max is president now. Um, yeah. Canada already had Elizabeth II. She's been the queen of Canada since the 1950s. Uh, but uh, now it's Sybil. And that's just what she did. She answered an ad on Craigslist. I love that. Yeah, she says all they did, all they had to do was answer a classified ad. And Sam says, yeah, the Canadians are practical like that. <laughs> that's a good line. Um, this doesn't even matter, right? No, it, well, it kind of comes into play later. It's not like a huge deal, uh, oh, but it is right. kind of right. part of a puzzle. I just remembered. Um, That's true. But yeah, it doesn't have a, like a huge bearing on the episode story. Um, it's just funny. <laughs> it's just a funny thing. Yeah. Uh, Sybil is now just queen of Canada. That's <laughs> just how it is. A lot of the, um... A lot of the accoutrements in her office are sort of... Uh, they've always just been really weird. There's like a weird fox and a scary sign that says relax with skulls and snakes coming out of the eyes of the skull. <laughs> have, we, have, have we brought that sign up before this? No, Because I, I love so. that relax sign. <laughs> That's probably the least relaxing sign I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I love that sign too. Uh, I don't think we have. Um, but all well, of now this we stuff have. has been redecorated to look Canadian. So it now says, relax, eh? And the <laughs> fox has antlers. 
and then all the newspapers don't have guns in them anymore. That's the change to the newspapers. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's funny. That's great. Um, oh, and my favorite is the Newton balls that she has on her desk, which are the like the clackers uh-huh. that go back and forth. Um, the the balls have been replaced with canoes. So it's just oh, right, right. That, that swing back and forth, which is not even something <laughs> I strongly associate with Canada. Me neither, but it's still a funny visual. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just boats <laughs> clacking back and forth, like boats do. You're just getting into the spirit. Um, but that is the last thing with Sybil, right? Yes, on Earth. But um, I forgot to bring up the one thing at Bosco's I wanted to bring up that I noticed this episode. Um, I don't know if they've always been there throughout the series. Uh, maybe they have, probably. But you can really only see it in this cutscene in this episode. Because normally in Bosco's store, it's had an angle where you cannot see it. But you can see on one of the shelves, he just has boxes of what I assume is some sort of food. They're with the chips. And all of the boxes are just labeled pieces. <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't catch that either. <laughs> it just has boxes of pieces. <laughs> That's great. Um, so you you have the the unicorn in the microwave. You're led into the moon once you go back to the moon. And you're in what's called the blister of tranquility, which is a play on the sea of tranquility. Um, but this is the blister, so it's in a thing rather than in a thing. A sea. Yeah. I don't know what that means, actually. Like, what does it mean to be a blister in a geographical <laughs> sense? Uh, that's a great question. Um, in an area that is a blister-esque, I would assume. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you come in. And there's a holographic projection of Hubliss's face. He talks to everyone there, which includes Philo Pennyworth, the cops, the bug that uh, tr- listened to people, uh, Abraham Lincoln's head, your goldfish from the office, your ficus from the office, uh, your ant farm from, well, from the office. Well, hold on, because I, if you do notice the ficus... Uh, Sam says, hey, Max, is that our ficus? And Max says, nah, it's too healthy. Yeah, but that's not true. Because <laughs> if you go back to the office and you look at where the plant normally is, uh, Sam says, I already, I always knew Hubert would run away on us someday. So, <laughs> so Max... That doesn't mean that's the same one there, though. Well, I, th- I was under the imp- uh, impression that Max was just not recognizing his old plant. <laughs> You know what? I like that it's a joke that's left open to interpretation. <laughs> it, it can really go both ways, that joke. <laughs> um, so all of these um, people, well, specifically the important ones, which are the cops, Philo Pennyworth, which is the chicken from episode two, if you don't remember, because you would be excused for not remembering that person, <laughs> and Abraham Lincoln's head. Those three people have magical prismatology talismans that let you do interesting things with prismatology um so abraham lincoln has something that makes anyone throw up using just you can make them throw up using your mind uh philo pennyworth has a hat that you can always pull jimmy two teeth out of and it seems to be the only thing that hat does 
what what a very specific use for a talisman yeah and um the cops have a talisman that lets you see through lead that's a little better a little bit um (laughs) the in the gift shop outside there's actually a, a fourth talisman that lets you bend spoons um, and, but it turns out that can actually bend anything made of metal. And never once in the episode do you bend a regular spoon. That's very true. I feel like that probably would be the most useful of them all. Yeah. Um, so they're they're all there. You all solve, uh, solve puzzles to get them all. Um, I don't think any of them are particularly interesting other than Abraham Lincoln's. <laughs> yeah i like that one um it, it's set up like a like a puzzle where uh so first he says you really boned me you guys and sam and max are like wait why you wanted to be president that much and then abraham lincoln was like no no no, no that's fine whatever um <laughs> which is a weird <laughs> stance for him to take um but you messed up my chances with sybil and then Sam and Max are like, oh, that's way funnier. Yeah, no, let's actually help you with that. <laughs> um, that's way funnier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they, they get Bob the phone from cops and they call Sybil. Man, the gang is all here. It's a night of a thousand stars here in <laughs> Sam and Max. And uh, you, you get you get Bob the phone helping out with Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I, I love Bob the phone, by the way. He... he <laughs> There's something about uh, Bob specifically out of all the cops that I just really like. He, he might be one of my favorite side characters in the whole world of Sam and the, Max for the, some reason. The chipper voice. Yeah. Um, so you call Sybil and this is this feels like one of the things where you'd have to go back to Sybil's and like do reconnaissance. But actually, if you've just been paying attention the whole time... Um, all you have to do is reference things in her office, which is a mm-hmm. cool puzzle because like I think normally they would have set this up like you need to bring a key item in order for Abraham Lincoln to know what to do. Um, but this is just sort of a, a knowledge. Yeah, you thing. just have to know Sybil. You just got to know her interests, which is a good way of uh, letting a woman know you're interested. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Dustin, for the for the dating tips. Yeah, let t- you guys can take that one to the bank. Uh, so wait, let, let's let's uh, recap that. The way to let a woman know that you're interested is to show interest. Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> show <laughs> show that you care. Show that you've been spying on their office and seeing their stuffed foxes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have to call her a fox, and then she's like, I do have a fox. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what he said. <laughs> but it but it still works. It still pushes Sybil's buttons in just the right way. Yeah. <laughs> That's a... Uh... <laughs> There's this one episode of Family Guy, Dustin, and I did not think that I... Oh, I know be... all about that. <laughs> uh, do you know the joke I'm talking about? <laughs> Which is, uh, refresh my memory. There's the volcano insurance salesman that comes Oh, volcano to insurance. Peter's I too house. have an uncle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Bob's your uncle. It'll, <laughs> you'll be safe from volcanoes. I too have an uncle. Uh, 
<laughs> that was a good Peter. That that feels to me like Sybil <laughs> hearing uh, the, Abe Lincoln the, saying, just the wrong relax. part about it. <laughs> just relax. And she's the, like, the, I do have a sign that says relax. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know what? That, I thought it was funny at the time, but I think it's funnier <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> it makes me appreciate this whole puzzle a lot more. Yeah. Um... So if you and and the and the last part of it is uh her you have to show interest in her Canadian heritage that she doesn't have. Yeah, that's true. You need to uh, say something about hockey instead of all of the other uh, answers are tempting because they're things about the ch- things she did in the past, but she's not those things anymore, so it wouldn't work. Um, and I actually messed that... up a couple times on that answer. I was like, wait, why isn't this working? But then when I realized what it wanted me to do, I was I was forgiving of the puzzle i was like oh that actually does yeah, make sense i was solved that is a smart puzzle yeah I, I like that a lot yeah um so he gets so nervous when he actually gets a date with sybil that he throws up and then that's where he was storing the talisman yeah he says he accidentally swallowed it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um also weird thing about this talisman all the other talismans are sort of represented by physical objects the the spoon bending one is a bent spoon the pull a rabbit out of the hat or a rat out of the hat is a hat this one is just like an emoji yeah it's just a like a doll head maybe of a kid vomiting oh you think it's a doll that makes sense i'd like to believe it's a doll head rather than just a concept being handed to sam um yeah yeah Although that's that's sort of funny in its own way. <laughs> uh, so this is this is I wrote down a question for us to handle uh, talking about okay. these talismans. Is prismatology real? Um, that is a good question because you you see the results from these talismans, but they're not the tal they're the talismans, not the prismatology. Did, right. the, did these talismans get their magic from this prismatology? Well, that's what they're led to believe. That's what all the followers are led to believe. But um, now that we know that Hubliss is an evil conglomerate of intergalactic bacteria, um, he might not be telling the truth about that. Uh, and they might just be pieces of technology from other planets that he's ransacked. Um. Mm, that's there's a mystery in sam and max yeah so it's it's possible uh the the interesting thing is that he's very convincing without necessarily having to use his hypnosis uh like i don't think that superball was hypnotized yeah i i think it's just because uh hugh bliss is very charismatic yeah he got everyone they're like you know what yeah sure this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about right yeah, yeah yeah um I, so I, I think most of them are just like bought in on the idea of prismatology. Um, but the the mind control turns out not to be from prismatology. It's just, um, you know, it's just an actual science thing. And the talismans might be from other planets. And the unicorn thing was fake. But like Hubliss has been shown in the past to do actual magic. Um he can change his colors. He can fly. Um, whether or not that's just because he's bacteria, I guess is what I'm asking. Like, is there real magic here at all? 
Um, maybe Hugh Bliss is magic, but everyone else is not magic, so it's just in the talismans for him. I don't know. Um, I guess it could go either way. I lean towards, uh, prismatology being fake. Yeah, I think I do too. Um, I, I think that... I, I feel like there's a lot more of those that kind of lead you to believe it's fake than there is leading you to think it's real. The thing is, up until this episode, I would happily believe it's very real. Um, because all of the magic tricks that he's been shown uh, to be able to do, given no context yet that he is just a mass of bacteria, seem very crazy. They seem wild and exceptional and hard to do um so i would have believed he's just magic but this does feel like there's a soft reveal sort of in between the lines of this episode that none of it was ever magic um yeah although some of the talismans i i struggle to imagine what actual science could do the things that they do um especially the one that you find later the magician's talisman that lets you swap yeah. places with Hugh Bliss. Yeah. I, I'm thinking there's magic in the talismans. Like, magic itself is real, apparently, with these talismans. But I would say prismatology itself is not the cause of those talismans working. Um, oh, also, uh, Chippy has a little song when you meet him. in the When you talk to the cops the first time. And it's like, <laughs> and that's it. And it's just like a really cheery little song <laughs> that he does. It's great. I love that song. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm I'm saying it right now. I think the cops are the best the cops side characters. are so good. <laughs> yeah. They're, it, they're just great. And I love every time they show up. Yeah. I would. Um, I want more cops fan art. I haven't seen any. I was going to do one last week, but I was just too busy. But maybe now that I'm not as busy, I can draw up some nice cops fan art. You know I love your art, Dustin. Thank you, Mitch. And you know I love when you want to see cops fan art. So I guess we're on the same page. Uh, so we weren't going to bring up the you know specifics of how you solve each puzzle, because each one is sort of involved. But I do want to just comment on the fact that this episode is quite difficult compared to previous episodes the things that you have to do i noticed a spike in difficulty yeah i mean i i guess this is the right place for it like this is the one episode you want to be a little tougher with its puzzles the very last one yeah the way you get the um the spoon bending talisman out of the gift shop is that you give it to uh to max who eats it uh, and then walk out of the gift shop. and then Yeah, since Harry Moleman pats you down if you leave and he'll find it if you uh, have it on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he'll he'll know. So you have to give it to Max. Um, because Max... He didn't have to eat it. <laughs> I think he actually did. Yep. Because otherwise he, he would like see it on Max's person. Oh, that's true. Max doesn't have pockets. Uh, yeah, he does... He does um, well, you know what? Let's just... Let's not use a euphemism. Let's call a spade a spade here. I think Max puts items in his butthole. Okay. That's the hint. <laughs> That's the hint that we're being given. 
they're saying like, oh, where does he keep his gun? Oh, you don't want to know. It's like, okay, well, I know what it is now because you wouldn't say that about anything else. <laughs> it's the one spot where that would imply. Yeah, no, you're you're talking about his butthole. Um, <laughs> I've, you know, I've read a book. I've, <laughs> I've read Cosmo. <laughs> I've <laughs> I've seen a butthole in my day. <laughs> I know where you keep your gun, sir. Um, yeah, so there's there's a part where you need to open that capsule after you get it out of the store, and uh, in order to do that, you need to put it under the lunar lander, and then get in the lunar lander and turn it on. But in order to do that. You need to unlock the Lunar Lander, which requires you bringing the coat hanger from your TV in the office to the moon and using it on the door of the Lunar Lander to unlock it. That's a lot of steps. That is a lot of steps. It, it felt significantly closer to the more difficult puzzles from the LucasArts era than most of what we've seen so far, to me, at least. Mm-hmm. I can agree with you. Um... Like I said, I think this is the one place where that kind of works. Although it's in, it's kind of interesting to think about because if you're looking at it just this episode on its own, it starts out hard. It's just hard the whole way through. But if you look at it from, you know, the whole season, then it's like, okay, we're nearing the end. Now is when the puzzles get more challenging. As a whole, it works. But it is kind of, it's a little weird if you're just playing this one episode on its own. Uh, so do you want to talk a bit about how all of this stuff culminates and we get into the next, uh, the, the next section of the episode? No, but I will anyway. Okay. So, <laughs> so you get, um, all these talismans from the others, you get them from the cops by playing tic-tac-toe. I like this puzzle because you're not supposed to win yeah. against the cops. They are developing a game. They're developing a, uh, post-apocalyptic a uh, space marine video game and it's just tic-tac-toe yeah yeah but normally for a puzzle like this you would want to win the whole point would be to win the game but here it's ridiculously easy you're supposed to lose so they think their game is good so if you win then they're like okay well we have to go back to the drawing board we have to use this talisman of ours uh, we ain't giving this up yet because we need to make more revisions to this game. But if you let them win, they'll think their game is perfect and they'll cough up the talisman for you. Yeah, the talisman lets them look within themselves, which they've taken from Hubless as explicit, literal instructions of something they need to do. So they use the talisman that lets them see through lead and that is supposed to help them with their video game design. Um, man, the cops are really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, everything about him, even just this puzzle, I think is a fun, creative way to kind of flip uh, expectations on its head. Yeah. You know, it, it's not like the hardest puzzle in the world. It's fairly easy to lose to the cops in tic-tac-toe, but just the fact that you're supposed to lose is fun. It's creative. I feel an impulse to say every time we talk about the cops, we're talking about the COPS, which is a group of yeah. old technology and not the real cops. I don't think yeah. I would say the cops are really good in a lot of situations, but that's why we're saying it here. <laughs> I don't think I would say the real cops uh, lead to fun and creative puzzles. Uh, so you are led to a, a lead door, which now you can look through using the talisman, 
which you can see a bowling ball, which is your bowling ball, who abandoned you to go study prismatology. That is so... I didn't even think about that. I didn't think that it was their bowling ball, but it is. Uh, Sam comments on it, I think. He says, like, oh, you too? Like, the bowling <laughs> ball? Um, yeah, I, m- I must have missed it when he said it, but that's very funny. It's it's hanging their on Their bowling it. ball, their... Yeah. Uh, it, it, their plant. Uh, so, the bowling ball is hanging from a sconce, and you can use the spoon-bending talisman to drop it, which lets you enter hubliss's inner sanctum where he is getting ready to hypnotize the entire world to be more like hubliss which is what we were sort of alluding to earlier when we were discussing how this might relate to sort of a a latent homophobia in the background of this episode right and yeah that that never occurred to me but now that you say it uh I can see where you're coming from. I yeah, when I was playing it, I literally just saw it as make them more like hubliss as in enlightened, uh pleasant, uh the the homophobia part never uh stuck out to me when when playing it, but uh when it spelled out for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't... When, I don't when wanna, someone else does the work for me. If that's not how you see it, I don't want to, like, just change... I, I don't want to argue for my perspective on it above yours. Yeah, I, 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 I want to go on record and say that it, it never once throughout the whole season had... Uh, did I have the thoughts, uh, these mannerisms mean hubliss is uh, portrayed as uh, homosexual. But that's... Like I said, that could just be on me, rather than uh, it not being there. Um, I would love to hear, if we have anyone in the audience, and I'm actually suspecting that we do, uh, who is both a uh, fan of Sam and Max and Telltale Games, and a an individual who uh, belongs to the gay community, uh, let me know what you think. Uh, I don't want to, like, straight splain this to anyone yeah. either because i i guess that's the thing neither of us are really <laughs> yeah super qualified to make the call here yeah to me this this seems pretty bad but um you know if... but to me it doesn't so we're both on opposite ends which is interesting this I is think. true um so uh let us know if, if if you can if that would not make you uncomfortable yeah i mean i i think that's the thing if um a homosexual person did feel like this was uh very bad then i'd be like oh i guess it's very bad (laughs) yeah uh yeah fair um so hubliss explains that the only force in the universe chaotic enough to stop him at this point is max uh so he has to separate max's vices from him his violent hand becomes a red max It, it leaves max's body um, his gluttonous stomach becomes a green Max, just eating everything, and his slothful tail becomes a blue Max, just sort of not doing anything, lying around. Um, wh- wh- what do you think about this part? Does this does this feel like anything to you? With the three Maxes, yeah. I think so. I think it uh, raises the stakes. I remember okay. at the time playing it, like, back in the original uh, game was released, 
I was like, oh shit, uh, Sam's best friend, he may never be the same again. He's been royally messed with. Uh, this is like the first time an occurrence has like deeply bothered Sam. The stakes are high for Sam. He's going to lose his little buddy. Yeah. So I, 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 I do think that's a good way to kind of be like, oh, he's not really messing around with these guys anymore. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like an elevation. Um, in episode one, Sam does have to rescue Max. And in episode four, Sam has to sort of campaign for Max. There's a lot of stuff that goes on, especially later in season three, that we'll, we will eventually get around to, that involve Max being catered to and nurtured by Sam. And I think that's just an interesting uh, relationship because it's not like a damsel in distress type of relationship because Max has proven many, many times that he is one of the most powerful creatures maybe in the universe. Um, But Sam is still his big buddy and just as a friend, you know, helps him when he can't help himself. And I think that there's, there's an emotional core there in the Telltale games that maybe isn't there in that same way in the other Sam and Max material. That's true. Especially in season three, like you said, I feel like that is really brought to the forefront. Yeah. Season three is kind of the first time they add like actual drama to Sam and Max. Yeah. Season three really is. um, It's been a really long time since I've played it. So we will come back to it and re-examine how I feel about it now. But I, I love it. It's it's such a great way to do drama and real storytelling within Sam and Max uh, that doesn't succumb to being too serious to outweigh the, the chaotic funny bits. Um, right. Yeah. That's how I feel about uh, Tales of Monkey Island as well. Like, all the other Monkey Island games are more just straight comedy. And then Tales of Monkey Island is the first time where they really try to up the ante. They, Like you said, try to have an actual story, have drama and action in it. And I think they do a great job. I think uh, that is part of the reason why uh, Tales of Monkey Island is one of my favorite Monkey Island games and why Season 3 of Sam and Max is probably my favorite Sam and Max thing. Yeah, Sam and Max Season 3, The Devil's Playhouse, is definitely my favorite Sam and Max thing. It's currently my favorite telltale thing as well but we'll we'll see if it stands up um so you you do some stuff to get all your body parts for max back and then when you do um hubless captures sam and like rotates through a bunch of different ways of torturing him um trying to saw him in half trying to spin him on a wheel so much that he throws up trying to send him into space to die of loneliness, try to um, drown him alive in a, in a tank of water. But none of these work because there's something on the wall that you can just pick up, uh, which is the magician's talisman, which is just a sphere that looks like Hugh Bliss's face. If you use it, Max and Hugh Bliss change places. And Hugh Bliss always gets out of it. Sa- Sam and... Sorry, Hubliss. Sam, Sam and Hubliss. Max is not helpful because he's locked in a crystal uh, during this time. <laughs> yeah, so before all this, Max pushed Hubliss out of uh, his hypno-beam crystal thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, now 
Max is there, which uh, has some ramifications afterwards. Yeah. Um, let's see. And the way you get out of it is you take the saw from the sawing uh, Hubless in half part, which Hubless does not mind, by the way. You can cut off his head. It gives you an achievement if you cut off his head in the remastered version, by the way. Um, but because <laughs> he's at this point revealed himself to just to be a colony of bacteria... He's like, yeah, you just, you know, you just separated the bacteria from each other. They can just grow back anytime. It's no problem. Um, so you take the saw and you use it on the lunar landing. And then when you switch places with him in the tank of water section, Hubliss is now in the tank of water. And then you can go in the lunar lander because you use the saw on it to cut off a leg. This is a bit hard to explain over an audio medium, I'm sure. Um... <laughs> But the the end result is you using the furnace at the bottom of the engine to heat up the water and boil Hubliss alive, uh, which Max does. Or sorry, Sam does. Yeah. Um, Sam boils Hubliss alive. Um, yep, boils and kills all the little bacteria. There's, I, I hate to harp on this, but there's, you know, yet again, another sort of very problematic gay connotation of being you know burned alive supplying the number one slur for gay gay people uh you know that's just it's just not unthere to me <laughs> you know like it's it's just really uncool uh a lot of the stuff but um but yeah. i get it but again that's just something that like never once occurred to me yeah until you said it yeah i I I'm 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 very interested in seeing if our listeners have thoughts. Right. Is where I'll leave it because I you know I don't want to take up too much of the episode with it more than I already have. Um So Hubliss is boiled alive and then Max drinks some of it. <laughs> which is just like in sort of it's meant to be a, cel- a celebration of like hey we won and then like ew though, right? like gross yeah <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't drink a colony of sentient bacteria i wouldn't drink a man e- even if they were hip- hypnotizing the planet i don't think i would do it then maybe i would do it to stop them from hypnotizing the planet but they were if that they was were the only done. way <laughs> yeah they had already stopped this was overkill yeah this is just max wanted to <laughs> Or more than Max wanted to, it was Sam recommending it. Like, hey, little buddy, now you get to take a drink of our enemy. And then Max is like, oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I've been looking forward to. (laughs) The the whole arc of the game has been about drinking Hugh Bliss. (laughs) That's some character growth. Um, And and that's the game. Uh, So, meanwhile, because everyone's still hypnotized... Uh, Max has got to go around and punch everyone on Earth in the head. Yeah, everyone thinks they're Max now instead of Hugh Bliss. Everyone is hypnotized to be Max. And there's a great Jared Emerson Johnson song in the credits called World of Max that is about an entire world of people acting like Max and how terrible that is. <laughs> it It's so good. I think... I think the cop song is still my favorite, but I think this one might be the best one. This is the one that I, for the last decade and a half, I've found myself just 
singing to myself every now and again. I'm like, wait, what is that song? Oh, that's World of Max. Yeah, that's a great song. Uh, like, I'll just... <laughs> there's one line that's particularly sticky in my memory, which is, um, maybe a star forever in Texas. And I was like, why Why would... Is that a line that I remember? But, I, but it very much is. <laughs> um, and then the credit sequence shows Max going around punching everyone in the head. And uh, that's season one of Sam and Max. Hooray! We did it, Mitch. We stuck it through. Yeah, we 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 definitely did it. Um, so now that we've had a conversation about it, uh, would you like to try ranking the episodes in season one? I think so. I think I can rank them. I think I have a pretty good idea of how I would do it in my head already. How would you? How would you rank um, them today? Okay, I think. Should I go from the bottom up sure, or? Sure. Okay, so in last place, I'm going to put episode three, uh, The Mob, The Mole, and the Meatball. Um, Still good. Like I said, the story just didn't really grab me all that much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't think any of these episodes are bad. I still, you know, it still had its good jokes. Um, And then after that, I would do 102 Situation Comedy. Um, I feel like it has a lot of great lines. Uh... (laughs) Especially the one about Ol' Yeller. Um, and I and I think the TV set is a neat idea. I think it's fun. Um, but I put episode 101 above that. Yeah. Because it is just such a very solid start to it. They do such a good job of introducing you to everything. And it's just a nice, simple story that has the mystery still there. Even though it's relatively smaller scale compared to what'll follow after you are still interested in what's going on who's behind this um and it introduces us to the soda poppers so that's pretty good then after that i'm gonna do 106 bright side of the moon um i feel like it was a good ending uh i like that all the characters come back but i kind of feel like the locations aren't very interesting they're kind of interesting, but, like, you have the moon. Yeah. It's just kind of gray and desolate. You have uh, the inner sanctum, which is fine, like, but it doesn't really do that much for me. It's not as interesting as, like, the TV show sets on episode two. Um, So that's why I put it below the other two is I feel like it was a good finale. It had its fair share of jokes. Uh. But, yeah, the setting could have been a little more interesting. Then after that, I'm going to do 105, Reality 2.0, which is the exact opposite. It's very interesting setting uh, with uh, the different colors. Yeah. Seeing just this parallel world to your normal world. Uh, a video game version of The Street. And... You know, you get a lot of good jokes. The cops are there. That really elevates it, I think. Um, but I think I'm going to put 104, Abe Lincoln Must Die, just a pinch above it. I don't know. It just felt like the story of it kind of came together a little better for me. I think it was uh, high intensity. You have to stop this rampaging Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the story's always moving. It starts out with you having to uh knock 
the president out of his hypnotic gaze, his hypnotic spiral. And then you have to go and get Max elected president. Then you have to stop the rampaging Abraham Lincoln. So there's just always something going on. It's it's like a three-act structure. Yeah. Uh, that's always elevating. And, you know, it had lots of funny lines. I do think maybe Reality 2.0 was a little more interesting with its alternate world. Uh, but... Yeah, I just think this one, everything just really came together, and I can see why this was the episode they used, that they gave out for free to really sell people on the series. And those are my Sam and Max Season 1 rankings. Yeah, I... Is that is that good? Is that okay? That's that's very similar to what I would do. Um, yeah, I feel like we're going to differentiate in a couple areas I can already kind of predict, but I'll let you I'll let you say what they are. Actually, no, I want to hear your guesses for what I'm going to say. Oh, okay. So, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you will rank them episode 102 in last. Yeah, that's true. Okay, cool. I'm on the... On, I'm good to go so far. Episode 103, second to last. Yep. 101, next. Yeah. 106. Yeah. 104 and 105. Yeah. Yeah, no, you got it. <laughs> I got them all right. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm judging little, by the way you explain them. The only uh, th- there's there's two things that make me like not entirely sure, but that's mostly what I have in my mind right now. Um, I I think that the reality 2.0 and Abe Lincoln Must Die are the two best episodes of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would put. I'm, I'm like right now feeling that reality 2.0 is better than Aim Lincoln Must Die, but uh, Aim Lincoln Must Die has a, uh, you know, I think a stronger narrative through line. And I think it does have more lines, like funny lines. But re- reality 2.0 has the cops, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I'm kind of like, I feel like these two episodes could switch places. I could be talked into uh, liking either one better. And I think even just mentioning the cops makes me think, oh, maybe Reality 2.0 was better. Yeah, and if my suspicions that uh, Bright Side of the Moon is a pretty horribly offensive thing to gay people, then I'm going to put it lower. But, you know, I'm just, I'm sort of ignoring that right now in favor of uh, listening to, to whoever wants to talk to us about it and... Um, uh, share their their in their perspective uh, so right now i would say it's in third place for uh best episode the, right. then 101 which i think is pretty uncontroversial because it is better than the two that follow it and worse than the three uh of the later half of the season it just is yeah i i think part of it is also because episode 101 is just so fresh. This is your first episode yeah. going into this Telltale series. Yeah. And then 102 and 103, you you get it. You get the gist of it. And, you know, the polish is kind of worn off a little. You, uh, you're kind of seeing the cracks a little bit, uh, which is fine. Like, they're still good, enjoyable episodes on in their own right. But, yeah, 101 has that. You go into it with a fresh pair of eyes. Yeah, um... We, we talked about why I like 103 more than 102 on, mm-hmm. uh, which is, by the way, 103, for those who don't remember, is the Mafia episode, and 102, for those who don't remember, is the television station episode. Uh, so, I think 
Dustin's reason for liking 102 more than 103 was that I had a lot more lines and like funny moments. And I completely agree with that, by the way. I think you're correct in there. I don't and, find and, 103 And the funnier. reason you like... And the reason you said you liked 103 better than 2 was you think the mystery comes on a little stronger. Yeah, that's true. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the overall core of the episode is is more um, cohesive in the Mafia episode. I can see that. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think that's where we are right now. Um, in any case, I think it's like, uh, the TV station in the Mafia episode are like the bottom third of the list. Then the pilot. Then um, the the finale. And then the two best episodes, the, the top third, are the politics episode with Abe Lincoln and the video game episode with Reality Must Die. Or sorry, Reality 2.0. I mixed those up just now. Um <laughs> But in, in, in you know one of the orders, I, I don't know, you know, I have my perspective and I, I think yours is just as valid in that particular case. You know what's interesting just kind of came to my mind right now? I don't think any of these Sam and Max seasons, I would say the season finale is my favorite episode. Um, I, I hate to jump into season two and three when we're not doing them yet, but uh, yeah, like here's season one. Uh, the season finale is kind of right in the middle, and I think seasons two and three I'm kind of in that same boat with. Not that they're bad, but I kind of feel like because they have to be the season finales. I actually thought I don't know, that maybe... in season three, um, the finale was my favorite. Um... Oh, nice. I, I, I think season three's finale is the best finale, um, and, and it's still great. I think the gap between episodes is so small in season three. But I still think I prefer, and, you know, this is before replaying them, but I still think I prefer a couple other episodes in season three. But that's just because the quality is so strong throughout the season. Yeah, I I agree with that. And um, I definitely agree with the the finale in season two being a a little bit worse because season two has some just all-star episodes right in the middle. Right. It's it's not that these are like bad finales. It's just that they're they're able to go like really creative and funny with the episodes leading up to it. I think it's because the finale has to be a little more rigid. It's kind of yeah. something they have to they kind of have to do what works. You know what Telltale game well, definitely in, has the best episode as its finale? What? Tales of Monkey Island. Yes. Definitely I the best episode. Def- I yeah, 100% um so that's our discussion of the episode uh let's head into our segments for the final time oh boy we're gonna have different segments in different seasons so this is this is it oh shit i didn't know this well sometimes this is news to me as well as the listening audience (laughs) sorry (laughs) but sometimes they don't they wouldn't apply there's no pickups in like the poker games and stuff so you know that's true it doesn't always work out to to do these things but we'll, we will have some segment something to do in later games uh, but for our last time at least for now let's talk about our linguistic gymnastics our favorite dialogue lines from this episode dustin do you got one i got a few um 
I kind of felt the same way about this one as I did the last episode where uh, there were definitely humorous lines, but there wasn't like as many, which is yeah, fine because I, it's, I agree. you know, the story is more at the forefront. Um, and I do agree that that is the better way to do it because either way, you still get great lines. There's a lot of funny situations in this episode. It's It's less dialogue based in its humor, I would say. Right. Um... Let's see, I'm going through my list. I know I have a few. Um, so this one I thought was very stupid. Um, oh, where was it? I missed. Oh, yeah. It's when you're getting the uh, TV antenna from Sam and Max's office. And uh, Max says, Sam, without that, we can't watch Colonel Mudshank's monkey party tonight. They were going to vote someone out of the monkey house. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Which is already funny. The fact that you have a TV show where someone's getting voted out of a monkey house. Yeah. Um, but then Sam follows up with, it's for the good of the planet. And besides, you had Colonel Mudshanks exiled for treason. Remember? Yeah. The, someone named Colonel Mudshanks has been up exiled for treason. um another one i like is um it's after you it's when you're talking to sybil uh sybil says you know being queen's just kind of a novelty thing go around to uh red ribbon cuttings and posing for money and max says sam how come i don't get to pose for and sam cuts him off he says we already talked about this max your gruesome head frightens shopkeepers and plays havoc with atms I don't even know what that means. <laughs> His head plays havoc with ATMs, and it and it frightens shopkeepers. <laughs> An easily frightened bunch. <laughs> yeah, as, as soon as he said that, I was like, "That one's going in." Yeah. Um. Another another one is when you're at Bosco's. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm sorry. Were you gonna say something no, about no, that no, no, line? I don't. Okay. So, uh, you're at Bosco's. And you're looking at his magazines. Um, Every episode he has magazines at the front rack. Mm -hmm. And here there's a comic book with two just, you know, crazy cartoon characters on it. Max says, no, Sam says, Zazzle and Fib, which is the name of the comic. And Max says, it's getting harder to find copyrightable character names these days. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's very relatable as someone who is recently trying to sell a video game. I I definitely empathize. It made me that. think too. It made me think too because Sam and Max? Yeah. <laughs> those are not copyrightable names. No, those are, those just, are just names. They don't even have last names that you can be specific with. Yeah. Um okay, and my last one. Um it's when you're talking to the cops and uh Chippy says Chippy just does his beep bop bleep blop bloops. And if that's a uh, line, that's my favorite line. <laughs> if that counts. It can. Uh the the best part is there's more to that line. Uh Max says, uh that one's my favorite. It sounds like he's always cursing. And uh shit, what's the name of the other one again? Kurt. The Kurt. He says, That is because he is. Whoa, good Kurt. Thank you. I wasn't really trying. I could probably do a better Kurt if I tried. That's a good Kurt. That's a good Kurt. Thank you. Uh, 
I, I just like when someone says, wow, that's like, that's like this. And then they say, yeah, it is that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always good. It's like it's you said last comedy. time, that's how like we always... It's a ex- comedy shortcut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's a non-joke. It, it's like you said last time, it we just explain the jokes. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone listening. Um... Uh, but yeah, those are my linguistic gymnastics. I would love to hear yours. So I, I've got I've got a line here that is not funny. It just I thought it was delivered well, which is when Hugh Bliss reveals his bacterial form. He, uh, mm-hmm. he says, "Hi, we are Hugh Bliss," and I was like, just the, the way that's performed and delivered. The we're not I'm because he keeps saying I'm Hugh Bliss. Um, is unsettling. They wanted to do like a sort of scary thing with Hugh Bliss. They did it. That's that's a. I I think in general Hugh Bliss's performance in this episode sells that because the through the whole season he's always had that uh, very uh, chipper up there the hi I'm Hugh Bliss sort of voice. Yeah. But here, like especially when he's uh, trying to kill Sam and Max, you can hear that voice like deteriorating. You can hear him like like going crazy with it, and it's like oh okay. Yeah. Um, a line that I, that is funny and is very good is when you examine some of the sconces in Hubliss's inner sanctum, which is after, by the way, you see a Hubliss statue with a spork and a bunch of other sconces. So you've seen a lot of spoon-like things at this point in the game. Sam says, I'm beginning to think that Hugh met the internet by lurking on alt.spoon.fetish. (laughs) <laughs> which is a very good website URL. If you can secure alt.spoon.fetish, I'm I'm sure that's that's a busy traffic area on the internet. <laughs> that's that's a winner. It doesn't even end with .com. <laughs> it it ends with .fetish. Yeah. That's <laughs> Um is there anything else? Um Oh, uh so one of the ones where Sam goes around, he can ask everyone like you uh, said earlier to rub his unicorn and uh if you do it with harry <laughs> moleman sam goes hey harry do you want to rub my unicorn harry goes um no i'm not that desperate yet uh <laughs> which, which i love i love that idea that like if we caught him like a couple days later <laughs> he would not have been in a great place he would have been like yeah i guess <laughs> let's let's do it <laughs> sure Oh, also, when you're talking to Harry Moleman, uh, Moleman's got some good lines. Uh, Sam asks, didn't you explode? Because, yeah, he absolutely 100% did <laughs> in episode three. <laughs> uh, didn't you explode? And Harry Moleman says, only in the spiritual sense. Uh, <laughs> which is their way of getting around that. Uh, That's not true. He did explode for real. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely also <laughs> he exploded in the physical sense. <laughs> is Is... Harry Moleman in season two? I know he's in season three, yeah. but I forget if he's in two. I do too. Um, I'm I'm very excited to get back to two. I don't remember anything about season two other than liking it. Yeah, it's been so long since we were talking about Sam and Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, um, we know what we're doing next. Um, oh, so we should we should tell the audience. Maybe I should even okay move before this part you earlier bef- in the episode. I don't know. Okay, before you do that, can I say one more favorite line? Sure. I I only bring it up because it's very short. Okay. 
So it's when you find the gluttonous Max in Bosco's store. Um, he eats Sam and Max, and then it cuts to inside the stomach, and you just see the silhouettes of Sam and Max. And Sam says, "Well, here we are in your stomach." Oh, I never did that. Yeah, you can just get eaten by uh, gluttonous Max. <laughs> I've never, I never did that. So. You can, what does it look like? Does it? Do you see it? it? It's literally just, you see the stomach, like it's just a picture of the stomach, and you just see like shadowed silhouettes of Sam and Max to imply they're inside. You're not <laughs> oh, in there so for That's so funny, I didn't know that. I'm yeah, and, that and that's that's kind of a um, running gag with Sam in various things, in the show, the comics. Uh, he'll just say, like they'll just randomly be where they need to be, and Sam will say, well, here we are in place. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a good, that's a great character. I think Sam is such a wonderfully written character. Yeah, I guess that's why they made him the star. Yeah. Um, so back to uh, the scheduling for the podcast. If you're trying to keep up with us, uh, you know, playing the games as we play them, so you can listen to the show with some uh, degree of of knowledge of the source material. Which I don't know if that's what people do. I have no idea if that's better or worse for you. But if you are trying to do that, the next episode will be about Telltale Texas Hold'em. Which is not Woo! Poker Night at the Inventory. There's some confusion about that. Um, it, it was their very first uh, card game that Telltale made, predating even Sam and Max. Right. It is currently available on Steam. It's actually the only one of Telltale's three poker games on Steam right now. Uh, I I hope someday they get the Poker Night one and two on Steam. I me too. I love those Poker Night games, and like Telltale Texas Texas Hold'em, I'm sure is fine. But like, there's not much appeal other than being a yeah <laughs> a Texas Hold'em game. Uh, not to sell it short, I'm sure it's a good Texas Hold'em game. But a big part of the appeal of the Poker Night games was having all these different uh, franchises come together. And getting so much dialogue, having these characters interact. Um, I wonder if these, if Telltale Texas Hold'em will have fun dialogue too. I know it has some dialogue. I know, I know that it's got quips. It just doesn't have any characters you might recognize, and that is inherently less interesting. Um, yes, <laughs> but you do have uh, Boris, whatever his last name is, who is the actual Boris Crinkle. Boris Crinkle, who is Leonard Sna- uh, Steak Charmer from Sam and Max. And uh, yes, there you have a guy who appears in episode one of Sam and Max in the TV show at Myra's. That's one of the players from Telltale Texas Hold'em as well. So, would you say it's safe to assume that Telltale Texas Hold'em is the same universe as Sam and Max? Yes, but not because of Leonard Steak Charmer, because he is explicitly not the guy from the game, because he's he's Leonard. He's not Boris. But well, oh, okay. Is that is that true or is that or do you think he is Boris Crinkle and he's trying to lay low? Because he also he also has a mustache that looks pretty fake. True. Um, so I wonder if he just switched identities. I I would not I would not doubt that. Um, but the main reason we'll I think get it's into in that the same next universe time. is because the set the TV set from episode two of Sam and Max is the the poker hall. Right, right. That's right. Yeah. So mostly, I'm in, that's I'm I'm interested. Here's the thing about Telltale Texas Hold'em. It's not very interesting. <laughs> uh, 
you you don't you don't have characters. Hey, you haven't even that... played it again for this episode yet. We don't you we don't know yet. Well, I we'll talk yes, about yes. it more. When I'm we get I'm just there. saying. Yeah, I'm going. I'm t- I'm just talking about on the surface going into it having not played it. I am not that interested. I'm sure I will be more interested having played it. Okay, we, this but, might be an episode where we give the playing of it only like a couple minutes, uh, but we yeah. will do our due diligence <laughs> to make it an interesting episode for you to listen to. Right. I hope everyone's still looking forward to it, regardless. And we need we need to tell the tale of that episode, so we will we will do it as much as we can do it. Um, so we're we're doing that next week. The weeks after that, uh, we'll both be the Bone games, the two Bone games that came out. Um, So the first one is Bone Out from Boneville, and the second one is Bone the Great Cow Race. So that's our next three weeks. Think of it as a mini arc, a mini season between main seasons of the show. Um, Because after that... That's a good way to do it. After that, I believe we're going straight into Sam and Max season two. Whee! I'm looking forward to it. We're going loosely chronologically. Um, we can't go entirely chronologically, mostly because we didn't start that way. <laughs> uh, the first Telltale game. <laughs> we're already off to a bad start if we're going chronologically. Yeah, we were off on episode one because the first Telltale game is Telltale Texas Hold'em. And also, I'm exploring avenues for how we can cover the CSI games. Uh, they are the first games that are proving to be very difficult to acquire um Mm. especially the very first csi game that telltale did which is csi three degrees of murder or no three dimensions of murder dimensions or degrees who even knows you see that's one of the problems with this game no one knows what it's called (laughs) (laughs) that that would probably make it hard to find yep so if you want to uh follow along with us those are the next three games that uh you should play before heading into the salmon max season two uh in the meantime dustin where can people find you i would love if people found me over on twitter at amazing dj dustin that's and you know i it's the same thing on like instagram so you can go there too if you want uh, and I would love it if people followed me on Twitter at the Wolf FM. That's at T H E W O L F E F M. And uh, I'll probably tweet about you know video games, Telltale, spelling and vocabulary. You're a catch. Yeah, yeah. I I can write. I can read. I can speak. I'm I'm a regular Scooby Doo. You know you're reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yeah, I do do that. Um. And well, thank you, Dustin and audience, for joining me with uh, through the first season of Salmon Max. It's been great. It has. I had a very good time replaying Salmon Max season one. Well, I'll see you again as we head through our mini arc. So, I'll, Dustin, I'll talk to you later. I'll also talk to you later. See ya. <laughs> I don't know how to end it. <laughs> so long, bye. Unmitigated, unreserved, unquestionable excess Larkiness, sharkiness, knockiness, and selfishness Flags of pure, unfettered, it brashly unfurled It's a max, 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 max world Scooby Dabba Baden, Deep Baden, Zoopy Doogie Dabba Dee Ba Dee Ba Dee Ba